Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode 22, in which I interview Eden Amadora, also known as Sarah Eden Davis. But first, the real Rosencruz <laughs> I know we've sort of derailed from where this segment was originally going. I will get back to the line-by-line uh, reviewing of the Fama Fraternitatis eventually. But for today, I want to focus on a particular manifestation of the Rosicrucian order a few hundred years later. This is the Rosé Roubaix et Ore Crucis, Flying Roll number 4. An example of mode of attaining to spirit vision and what was seen by two adepti, Very Honored Soarer SSDD, Sapientia Sapienti Dona Data, or Florence Farr, and Very Honored Soarer F. Fidelis, or Elaine Simpson, on November 10th. 1892. Secure for an hour or for longer absolute freedom from interruption, then alone or with one or two other adepti, enter the vault or private chamber, remain in silence and contemplation for several minutes, rise and perform the Kabbalistic cross and prayer, then proceed to contemplation of some object, say a tarot trump, either by placing it before you and gazing at it until you seem to see into it, or by placing it against your forehead or elsewhere, and then keeping the eyes closed. In this case, you should have given previous study to the card as to its symbolism, coloring, analogies, etc. In either case, you should then deeply sink into the abstract ideal of the card, being an entire indifference to your surroundings. If the mind wanders to anything disconnected with the card, no beginner will succeed in seeing anything spiritually. Consider all the symbolism of the tarot card, then all that is implied by its letters, number, and situation, and the paths connected therewith. The vision may begin by the concentration passing into a state of reverie, or with a distinct sense of change, to something allied in sensation to a faint, with a feeling urging you to resist, but if you are highly inspired, fear not, do not resist, let yourself go, and then the vision may pass over you. If you have anything occur or disturb you, you will come to readily enough, or as from a doze, otherwise the vision ends itself, or some can check it by will at any stage, others cannot at first at any rate. Example The tarot trump, the empress, was taken placed before the persons and contemplated upon, spiritualized, heightened in coloring, purified in design, and idealized. In vibratory manner pronounced Dalet. Then, in spirit, saw a greenish-blue distant landscape, suggestive of the medieval tapestry. Effort to ascend was then made rising on the plains, seemed to pass up through clouds, and then appeared a pale green landscape, and in its midst a gothic temple of ghostly outlines marked with light, approached it, and found the temple gained in definiteness and was concrete, 
and seemed a solid structure. Giving the signs of the Netzach grade, because of Venus, was able to enter. Giving the portal signs and five equals six signs in thought form. Opposite the entrance, perceived a cross with three bars and a dove upon it. And beside this, were steps leaning forwards into the dark by a dark passage. Here was met a beautiful green dragon who moved aside, meaning no harm, and the spirit vision passed on. Turning a corner and still passing on in the dark, emerged from the darkness onto a marble terrace brilliantly white and a garden beyond, with flowers whose foliage was of a delicate green kind, and the leaves seemed to have a white, velvety surface beneath. Here, there appeared a woman of heroic proportions, clothed in green, with a jeweled girdle, crown of stars on her head, in her hand a scepter of gold, having at one apex a lustrously white, closed lotus flower, in the other hand an orb bearing a cross. She smiled proudly, and as the human spirit sought her name, replied, I am the mighty mother Isis, most powerful of all the worlds. I am she who fights not, but is always victorious. I am that sleeping beauty whom men have sought for all time, and the paths which lead to my castle are beset with dangers and illusions, such as fail to find me sleep, or may ever rush after the Feta Morgana, leading astray all who feel that illusory influence. I am lifted up on high, and I do draw men unto me. I am the world's desire, but few there be who find me. When my secret is told, it is the secret of the Holy Grail. Asking to learn it, she replied, Come with me, but first clothe in white garments, put on your insignia, and with bared feet, follow where I shall lead. Arriving at length, as a marble wall pressed a secret spring and entered a small compartment where the spirit seemed to ascend through a dense vapor and emerged upon a turret of a building, perceived some object in the midst of the place, but was forbidden to look at it until permission was accorded, stretched out the arms and bowed the head to the sun which was rising a golden orb in the east, then turning, knelt with face toward the center and being permitted to raise the eyes, beheld a cup with a heart, and the sun shining upon these. There seemed a clear, ruby-colored fluid in the cup. Then Lady Venus said, This love, I have plucked out my heart, and have given it to the world. That is my strength. Love is the mother of the man-god giving the quintessence of her life to save mankind from destruction and to show forth the path to life eternal. 
Love is the mother of the Christ. Spirit and the Christ is the highest love. Christ is the heart of love, the heart of the great mother Isis, the Isis of nature. He is the expression of her power. She is the Holy Grail, and he is the lifeblood of spirit that is found in this cup. After this, being told that man's hope lay in following her example, we solemnly gave our hearts to the keeping of the grail. Then, instead of feeling death, as our human imagine led us to expect, we felt an influx of the highest courage and power. For our own hearts were to be henceforth in touch with hers, the strongest force in all the world. So then we went away, feeling glad that we had learned that he who gives away his life will gain it. For that love which is power is given unto him who hath given away his all for the good of others. Our guest tonight, Sarah Eden Amadora, is a priestess of the Thirteen Moon Mystery School. We have received the transmission, heard the mythic call. We have come across the vast sea in service to true love. The activation has begun. We have no choice now but to burn brighter, to illuminate and inspire love, only love. We have come to transmit a frequency of unconditional love, to transmute the collective shadow through personal alchemy. Welcome to the Esoteri Nerd Podcast. Thank you. So the 13, is it the 13 moons? It's a 13 moon mystery school. The 13 moon mystery school. I'm preparing the temple space. We're mm -hmm. going to be starting our first initiation circle this Saturday. So I was meeting with someone who was interested in being in the, the circle. And Excellent. yeah, it's very exciting. I'm Looking forward to the journey. Since you mentioned the word initiation, normally that implies that there's a certain amount of secrecy involved. Is that the case in this case? Yes, I actually love to talk about this because, as you know, in, within the name of our, our organization, just being a mystery school by, by that terminology would seem like there's some secrecy. And mm -hmm. there are rituals and ceremonial aspects that we... We don't talk about beforehand and we don't talk about what happens per se in, in the ceremonies afterward in general because it's deep alchemical work. Right. And by the same note, I'd like to just say that I think many mystery schools are starting to 
open up in a sense the collective as a, a larger invitation for beings who are resonant to find them. And we're coming out of the occult in a way, coming out of the the kind of like secrecy shrouded in such kind of darkness or mystery because at this time really there's the need for all beings who are resonant to find these paths to assist them to awaken and to really be of service to step forward into more of the I would say almost mainstream um, and that's been an edge that's been actually a challenge with um kind of interfacing with the world of social media and coming out of the more um, just word of mouth passed from one woman to the other recommended arena into a more broader amplification now. So even though some, some of what we do, even for the initiates are entering, wouldn't, wouldn't be given to them beforehand. And it is, it's to remain more in the moment and in the mystery the school itself and much about what we're doing is coming out into the collective now. So uh, what is it that you can share? Well, I can share that um, this path has, it's an ancient path. It's a, a lineage that has been passed on mother to daughter and sometimes by direct transmission my, I, I like to call her my fairy godmother, but I'll also just refer to her as my mentor and a wonderful wisdom teacher, Ariel Spilsbury. She wrote the 13 Moon Oracle, as well as a book called the Mayan Oracle. And she received much of this information through direct transmission, through being in, in deep meditation and listening and remembrance. This is a path of remembrance, and she has been an incredible channel and such a, a living embodiment of this work and such a mouthpiece for the goddess in her lifetime. She's in her 70s now. And her, her joy and her dream is to see several other really strong focalizers or initiators before she passes to carry on this particular lineage. There are other 13 moon-like sisterhoods and mystery schools across the planet. Mm -hmm. this, per, this particular one is a very um, direct training from Ariel, and um, there are about five or six other women in this country that I know of that are, that are coming from her lineage and that she has initiated. So what I can say about it is this used to take much, much longer. These initiations back in the time, old, I'll say more Celtic times were 13 year initiations of living together and working together closely in ritual and ceremony. And, there's many different aspects of the path. We, in these times, have quintessentialized many of the teachings. Much of it is um, done in these day-long ceremonial circles, and we go in 13-moon-long um, rounds. I've gone through several of these initiations and been prepared to now hold these circles to be ordained as a priestess in this path takes many, many years. So um, there's many gateways that you can enter at and that 
the gateway that I'm now providing is called entering the temple, which is literally having an in-body, in-person experience of temple space. And um, each of these moons is a deep dive into that particular archetypal frequency of the divine feminine. So for instance, we start with the great mother. Everything about the temple space itself will resonate with that frequency. So there's a specific color, a specific flower, specific altar items, crystals, herbs, animal totems, the artwork, the music, the chants and songs we sing and the ritual we do. And much of it, as I say, remains in the mystery because much of it is co-created from what we call empty presence. And empty presence is um, probably the most powerful aspect of this sacred feminine journey, which is very different than a process that's mental, that's um, coming from like talking about something. It's more sitting. like playing jazz. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a certain amount of just listening and responding. So yes, in that way, it is, it's in the mystery and each circle is completely different because within empty presence, what is required arises and what is in the space, especially shadow or negredo, we call it, what needs to be composted for our growth um, arises to be felt and seen but instead of going into some kind of therapeutic process, we sit in the alchemy and there are different practices to assist the shadow to transmute. We use the word transmute much like a peacock that can eat poison and grow such incredibly beautiful colored feathers from that. We, um, it's an inclusive path, a path of remembrance and wholeness. So rather than trying to avoid discomfort or shadow, we embrace everything into that wholeness of our loving attention. And then the mystery plays itself out in the, in the day long ceremony, how that, how that looks and how that feels is completely dependent on the souls who are present and what arises from empty presence and from maybe some inquiry that's dropped into the center of the circle. But once again, it's coming from what we call like the womb of silence or the deep, deep listening below the ego mind level. In the um, school that I came from after, oh, what was it? <clears throat> I guess it was six years or five and five years of um, going through the various grades of a traditional Golden Dawn temple. Um, just before they were going to lock me in a box for a day and a half, uh, I was supposed to choose my name. <laughs> and so the name I chose was... Mm. Exactly. What is empty is real and what is real is empty. It seems like that's where all the, as my dad once put it, all doctrines are dissolved. Yeah. In that empty space where the Tao and the Ayn and the veils of negative existence and the Kabbalah all overlap. Yeah, I like to I like to think about the Sanskrit um I guess it's a mantra, Namo Nama or Namo Namo. 
there's there's something in the paradox of I am that I am not. It's the, in that emptiness, in that dissolution that we are filled with the the mystery and the beauty. The miracles happen there. Yeah, Alan Watts described it as like a sewing needle that you need both existence and non-existence in order to have a tapestry. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, I I definitely approve of what you're doing. I'm I'm of course curious. You've got the so you mentioned about the the Divine Mother being the first of the thirteen, and naturally, I'm curious if there's anything else you can say about the other twelve. Oh yes, and just to to be a little bit um, of a word stickler, I would say the Divine Mother is ever present in each of the faces. She's really woven throughout all 13. And that aspect of her that is the, the great mother, the first archetype, we, we dive into this frequency. It's, it's very, very much connected also to just all the faces that we, as, as men and women, are embodiments of. We can relate to these archetypes within our lives, and we see them and we feel them. So the the great mother archetype has to do a lot with safety and the full unconditional embrace. It's very root root chakra, deep dark red, burgundy red. She's the Fibonacci spiral. She's the turtle, the bear. She is the void, the cauldron, that empty presence that I was speaking of from which all is born. And from the spiral of the deep, dark, burgundy red of the great mother. We go all the way up to the crown for the next initiation to the light, lavender, lilac, opalescent, high frequency of the goddess of compassion, where we seed the divine mind on earth. We recognize and seed like the sacred geometry of the Sri Yantra, where the above and the below intersect within us. And the goddess of compassion, just like I said before, that archetype has different faces of the goddess. So we know from the East, Kuan Yin and Tara, the many different faces of Tara. And then there's Mother Mary um, and, and many more. I, at the moment, focus on mostly these three when mm-hmm. I'm in ceremony. But that goddess of compassion day feels completely different in frequency and in sacred geometry and color tone and ritual um, than the great mother, even though you can see where they intersect and how the divine mother is present throughout the goddess of compassion circle. We, we need to feel the safety in that being held in that whole embrace of shadow and light to be able to look at the places where we're maybe still unable to forgive and the places where we judge so there's much deep personal holding and healing and transmutation, and there's a lot of collective work that's done for the one. All of the work in the end is in great service of the awakening of the collective heart of humanity for the one. So the next archetype we enter into is the sapphire blue of the priestess, the mistress of the waters, Magdalene, lady of the lake. This archetype has to do with really resting and receiving like a chalice, the sacred tool of the priestess, to be able to be still and amplify. We spend most of this day in a lot of stillness and silence listening in this 
this particular moon, we learn about divination. We look for pattern recognition. We hollow the moon. We learn these skills, these ancient priestess skills to really start to see beyond the veil, to practice that opening of that third eye, that indigo blue chakra. Mm. Excellent. So you start at the root, then move to the crown, then move to the third eye. Yes. Can this I guess? Is, this is kind of a personal like um, <laughs> correlation I've made with the chakras. Yeah, the, I, I, I totally dig it. Yeah. Is the throat next? Um, the, well, you know, it's interesting. The, the fourth is the lady of communion, which is green and gold in frequency. So mm. it's more heart chakra. Okay. Okay. Yes. So it doesn't actually have a linear, a linearity. So it moves it's... from the third eye to the heart. That makes sense. Yeah. That resonates with me. I, I practiced, um, a version of the middle pillar by Israel Rigardi, and I liked to add in the third eye and I'd vibrate yah and I could you know, relate with that connection between the Chokmah in the third eye and uh, Tiferet in the, in the heart, for sure. Mm. Are these Kabbalic terms? Yeah, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm a big nerd, so I, I, I tend to lapse in and out of, of uh, Kabbalistic terms, but yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested and open to learning more about the, the tree of life and the Kabbalah and how that might also be associated with these different archetypes and different frequencies. So we have a lot we can explore. Definitely. I mean, it seems like a lot of the really useful stuff that you find in Hermeticism actually finds its root in the East. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I'm finally getting around to, um, you know, I spent many years specializing in Western esoterica, and now I'm kind of like shuffling all that off and focusing on yoga and meditation and Zen. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, I'm doing this podcast um, kind of for everything, for all of it, to bring it all together. Um, you know, there's there's a voodoo practitioner who's bringing together, you know, Eastern and Western to expound upon, to add to uh, the the. Relig local religion of the Bantu in South Africa. I, I had him on. That was very interesting. So, I mean, there's mm -hmm. a, a real diversity of, of uh, voices. So, I mean, this is definitely... Yeah, just, just like I was saying before, it's time. It's time for all yeah. these paths to really be lit up in the, the light of whoever's resonant, whoever's listening, whoever's hungry and looking for that information and wisdom now. It's yeah. needed. Um, I had a thought... Okay, what was it? I have to, I'll edit my, my mumbling out. Um, now, you know, of course, you know, people are far too used to um, and in a lot of ways tired of uh, the sort of hierarchical, um, patriarchal religions that we've all kind of in many parts of the world um, had to put up with for so long. So it's, it's nice to, when we can empower people with something that's not only more feminine, but also more personal and can be generated, you know, from within and connected exactly. to from within that you don't need to go eat a cookie anywhere or stand in line <laughs> to, get, to get your salvation. Right. I would love to talk a little bit more about that and why I love this path so much and why I'm now in service to, to this lineage. I, I have, before finding this particular path, I had only a concept about what the divine feminine was. Mm -hmm. For me, it felt like, oh, that's something from the East, like from India or yoga based. And 
I didn't have a direct embodied Blasphemy. knowing of that. <laughs> yeah. And um, through this, this path and practice of communing with these different archetypes and actually becoming very familiar with the energies and embodying them, I get that the goddess is is that aspect of the divine that is alive through us, through all of us. Yeah. It's like if if the the male aspect was like a vertical ray, perhaps that kind of solar logos, that direct transmission of light or pure information, the goddess is where the the rays spread out and do their work in the world. It's yeah. through through our touch, through our voices, through our hands, through our hearts, through our eyes. And when I sit with women in these circles, there's no hierarchy. There's no high priestess. That's actually old paradigm patriarchal as well. Yeah. It's, it's about sitting in a circle of mirrors, of sacred mirrors and equals and awakening to our own innate wisdom. And my job is simply to hold coherency and to bring us back if we wobble out into that kind of more personality-based ego mind frequency because the real alchemy and magic and the deep listening happens in that coherent stillness and that depth. And as we, as we listen, we start to realize literally that expression sister speaks for me. And I think you've heard that in some, you know, sweat lodges or new age circles, you'll hear people that speak your own truth again and again. And the, the resonance, the way that it lights up your body and resounds as as real and true is just incredible. So we empower each other to rest in our remembrance on this path of the sacred feminine and then to take the work out into the world in our normal, like, muggle lives, you know, so to speak, like going going to your day job or the grocery store and really being more of that stand for unconditional love and empty presence and open-hearted availability, because that's what the world so desperately needs. And that's the, the mission, if I could say of the goddess, as I understand it, it's that she has always been here. We have this kind of false belief that, oh, the goddess is reawakening or the goddess is re-emerging or some kind of... We're just taking our blinders off. Yes, it's like in Avatar when they plug back into the home tree and they're like, (laughs) you know, we, as we evolve and awaken as a collective and kind of move out of that lower chakra survival and just kind of hunger, lust, and third chakra, you know, me, me, mine, mine, and technology and power. And we rise up into the heart. We start to experience that awakening to our interconnectedness and lift the veils of the illusion of separation, the illusion of scarcity. And that's where we are. We're in this great turning now, even though the outpicturing to the ego mind, if you're tuning into the old kind of frequency channels, would seem like it's really kind of scary out there. Underneath the surface is so much beauty and growth and the way we are actually primed as a collective for this opening. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah, the only the only thought that 
I have is I'm wondering if maybe I'm because I'm assuming that it's women only these meetings. Well, these particular 13 moon initiation circles Mm -hmm. so far have been predominantly just women or very, I would say, female oriented beings. Okay, so it's it is there's nothing you must be female. No, there's no there's no hard rule about it. And so if uh, men are lo- are looking to connect with their inner priestess in this system, they can yes. also contact you. Yes. Excellent. Oh, well, been, that's great I news. I have been contacted by a few men. And I also want to um, share that I offer other circles into the greater community. For example, we have recently done really beautiful ceremony that was based more on the frequency of the goddess of compassion. And it was a whole ponopono forgiveness, deep ritual circle for men and women specifically around healing and returning to that really like balance within ourselves and our own inner masculine and feminine, and then doing the healing work and the forgiveness rituals around collectively this kind of split and continual um, friction between men and women in in our world. So this, this was a powerful ceremony that will happen again, and I'm committed to continuing to participate and be a part of. Excellent. So the fourth level was the green and gold and heart chakra. Yes, the Lady of Communion. And she, I think the goddess that most is most known from this archetype is Artemis. Mm. And this is the archetype of the solar androgyne. She who is balanced in her masculine, or he who is balanced in his masculine and feminine, which is exactly what we were just talking about. So we, we see how each of us has this capacity to receive and surrender and to deeply attune and listen. And that's more of traditionally this kind of chalice-like stillness and receptivity. And then how each of us is also an activator and like a peaceful warrior and and called like the sword to really go do and manifest that new vision, that new paradigm. So we look at where are we out of balance, where where, and it's not just that the men are like, in their masculine and their sword is very sharp and their chalice is very rusty. You have women that are in this corporate world that are cranking on their adrenals and have forgotten their, their ability to surrender and receive who are completely exhausted. And this particular moon is a lot about reclaiming that balance and deeply listening and, and also about, Taking responsibility, the sacred geometry of this archetype is the cube, and it's just such a sound structure. So if you visualize an emerald cube, how you can really build like a building block from the sacred geometry. And we look at where where are we in our power and taking responsibility. So there is a bit of third chakra meets the heart because we're constantly striving to tap into that true resource of power, which is that unconditional love and open channel to source and then to respond to life and trust in our ability to 
I almost call it femifets, but it's manifest, whatever, <laughs> to listen deeply and to take action. <laughs> so, yeah, this particular moon is, um, it's very activating, and we often do it outside. We, we use ritual in nature. We commune with the trees, and it's, it's really that archetype of Gaia and the green man and Pan for a couple of the, the male counterparts to, to the Lady of Communion face of the goddess. Yeah. It's where, where we are completely in harmony and balance with the elements, with the all creatures, with the earth herself. I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, the new sciences and how it, helps complement kind of the old religions in a way, so, uh, you know, or, or con where it contradicts and where it complements. And uh, I mentioned jazz earlier. Apparently, there was an experiment done recently where they put a bunch of really good jazz musicians in MRI machines and had them all, um, you know, jam. And when they started really getting <laughs> into it, they noticed that the neocortex had gone dark. And that's kind of the overseer, the executive, the thing that makes us uniquely human, they say. Um, and and a lot of what, you know, and at the time you were mentioning kind of shutting up the rational mind, like letting the beta mind, the monkey mind kind of move aside and experiencing these deeper emotions just as they are and mm -hmm. experiencing and kind of jamming in that same particular way and then mm -hmm. the but this mix this yin yang balance of masculine and feminine mm -hmm. reminds me of the conscious and unconscious mind where when we're like you said just pulling on the adrenals and 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 filling ourselves with cortisol and and not uh allowing the space you know it's like we're focused on the wrong things because if we're conscious then we would be conscious of that we're doing that and then we could look you know, inward and find out what's going on. But a lot of that is going on in the unconscious. And so there's that inner exchange between the, the, the yin and the yang and the, the, if you will, the neocortex and the rest of the brain, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I like to, I like to think of it as like a right brain, left brain, and then this kind of oversoul that's created where you come into this really harmonic balance and then ultimately it's so simple when we get down to like the core, we use all these different Terms. rituals and ceremonial practices. When, when we really go to the seed of each of these archetypes and each of these powerful journeys, initiations, most of the work I would say points to one or two things. And that's what is in the way of love. This is the, the primary initi initiatory gate question. So even though they're very different feeling, each, each of these ceremonies, we're looking through different lenses at what, what is still kind of like the static on the line that keeps us from resting as empty presence and simply being love. Yeah. And how do we get rid of it? <laughs> yeah. And in this, in this particular path, it's, it's beautiful because instead of getting rid of it, we often like literally 
just say, I love my shadow as I love my light. And by becoming aware of it and almost putting our arm around those patterns, yeah, you start to, that's where the alchemy happens. That's where. And humility too, because I think sometimes our, our, our pride keeps us from admitting our shadow, you know, the shadows there being a whiny child or whatever, and we're trying to defend it, but it takes admitting that it's a whiny child and saying, I forgive you and I love you. And then we can look around and go, yeah, I'm just another human with my flaws. And then okay. we're back to perspective. We're back to, you know, yes. reality. I love that. And I, I was recently shown an image of this woman almost arched back in a back bend with this light, kind of either cracking her heart chakra open or shining from above into her heart chakra. And it said humility. And I was, I was so kind of stunned by the embodiment because it seemed contrary to what had been imprinted with as the posture of humility. And I had kind of imagined it the opposite direction, like a deep bow, like child's humiliation. pose. Humiliation. Yeah, with our heads low and our, you know, just almost a like a slight aura of even shame or unworthiness kind of undertone in there. Yeah. And the the shift is to really go in and through the shadow, which is maybe where that shame and that unworthiness and that lack of self-love live, and to to unfurl and really open back up to that light of mystery in total surrendered receptivity and receive that, that guidance and that support, which is that open heart lifted position and to, to really embody humility in that way. Humility as emptiness, perhaps like opening up that heart chakra so that you can receive like, a chalice, the the spirit pouring down. I, Absolutely, I, I have an interesting anecdote. Um, the right hand man of the right hand man of Cardinal Mahoney in the Catholic Church here in Los Angeles um, is big on ecumenicalism. So he's always visiting different um, denominations and different religions and trying to establish good, a good rapport. And so he spent a weekend at an ashram on the 4th of July in 2006, I believe, or something like that. And, um, they, the, uh, one of the, the yogis asked him what he was going to be talking about in his homily the following Sunday. And he said, Oh, it's these words of St. Paul talking about, um, you know, God is love and you can, you know, turn toward him and receive it, or you can turn away from him and, you know, or something like that. And so the yogi said, you should tell them that God's love is like a waterfall and they are like a bucket. And if they're right side up, then they will be continually filled and, they w- and they'll overflow. But if they are turned upside down, then they will remain empty. <laughs> and his conclusion was, you know, that yogi understands the words of St. Paul a lot better than a lot of Christians I know. And then right. he just left it at that. It was like he dropped the microphone. <laughs> I was wow. like, oh, whoa, that was a good homily. I'm glad I was there for that. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good metaphor. Yeah. It's nice to hear wisdom coming from unexpected places. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to know about I more do. of the archetypes? So do okay. you move into the lower chakras and start to trans, like, well, I, I'll, I'll let you. Okay. Well, after the Lady of Communion, that green and gold and 
I guess the the goal is more that like yellow of the solar plexus blending with the heart. Then we actually go into the creator destroyer preserver, which is quite a wild and very different feeling archetype. That is um, probably most well known as Kali, Kali Durga from the East, the energy of she who creates anew from the ashes or the charnel grounds of that which is no longer serving and not sound. And then also the discernment of what is to be preserved. The white face of this archetype is that kind of associated with the Vishnu aspect of the preserver. And it's red, but it's also black and white. So it's not Mm. exactly a chakra lineup as the other ones might be. But I would say she's the archetype that doesn't give a shit about your look good you're pretty, you're nice, you're sweet. She doesn't meet you at the gates of liberation with a warm embrace. She rips you through the keyhole. Mm-hmm. She is um, going to ask you what is real and are you willing to take radical responsibility for your own reality, your own creation dream? What masks are you wearing that no longer serve you? And she's, she's like the vulture and the eagle, the animal totems of this archetype. She's not um, for the faint of heart. I would say that whatever you're attached to is exactly where the work is. And the ritual is so different than the other days. And I know it's still a mystery school and not to be completely talked about, but I'll just say that it involves extremely rocking loud music Mm, nice (laughs) yeah we had a metallica ritual where i came from (laughs) excellent i love the uh black red and white it's very shades of book of revelation um my my, uh, mom and my sister and i one time uh decided to get portraits done thank god because my mom passed away a few years later but um, we, you know, she said, okay, everybody put on your fanciest outfit. And, and my sister and she and I all by coincidence put on black, white, and re- red and white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had a very alchemical, uh, series yeah. of family portraits. <laughs> so that was the black, red, and white Kali. Is that associated with a chakra? You know, I, I would say that she's kind of like the overview, like it kind of pulls out and takes a good assessment at where, where your blockages are and what you're attached to. I wouldn't say it's particularly one chakra. There's the red element that's very root, but it doesn't have much to do with it. Maybe it has to do with what you're attached to as far as what you think you need to survive, but often she'll shake you up and let you see that very little of very few of your attachments are sound um, it sounds a bit like digestion. Yeah, maybe this this one is is really about just going on that deep, deep inner journey into the void, even so the black of the void. We do work with holotropic breath work during this moon. Mm. We do some really deep, deep art exploration as well. Um, yeah, oh, I, I, I forgot to ask, where are you located? I'm in Northern California. Okay. In the San Francisco Bay Area. Excellent. So you're not that far from me here in Los Angeles. Not too far. No, I actually have an initiate that's going to be flying up every month for the circle. 
And yeah, it's not too far at all. Is that is that uh, voluntary or do you have to attend every month? You have to attend every okay. month, every moon, because we build such a deeply intimate container. This is soul work that has to be held in sanctity and very, it's, it's so sensitive, the places that we go together. Yeah that we need to go the distance and really have that commitment from the get-go. Is it, is it a 13-month program? It is, yes. It's a year-long program of 13 moons. So, yeah, 13 months. Okay. Wow. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense that it would be more condensed like that for the modern-day person who has to pay the mortgage and take care of, you know, everyone. And uh, Right. And I can't live, can't live completely for 13 years in a yeah <laughs> yeah so after yeah the after sixth the kali the kali ma let me just touch into my part Thank i'm you. pretty sure we come out into the energy of the muse mm. the archetype of the muse is going back to the throat chakra finally for you <laughs> it's this bright blue turquoise blue and the muse is really all about that divine child innocence. It's about our creativity. The goddess Sarasvati is associated with it, as are the Davic realms, really tapping into when we look through the eyes of that innocent, open heart, that divine child innocence, we start to see things with our creative imagination. Our dreaming really picks up and amplifies. And so we, we play. The each archetype has a an expression that goes with it, and the muse is I play, I inspire, and where some of the archetypes may have serious mantras and embodiment practices can seem very yogic. The the muse mantra is uh, accompanied by fairy claps, and we chant here, here, now, now, all things are possible, hmm. and it's it's really this. Like the frequency is very hummingbird, dragonfly, butterfly-like, very sweet. And yet a lot of the shadow that gets stirred up is very deep, deep, vulnerable inner child stuff. Yeah. Because really to be able to reclaim that seeing and that that lightness of being, we we feel what's in the way. We feel those places yeah. when we were very young where we didn't feel included or safe or that we weren't allowed to be that magical and free. Yeah. And so it's a real reclaiming of that part of ourselves. Yeah, it's hard. I remember not understanding why I was being told not to smile or laugh. Mm. You know, before I could understand that, oh, well, you know, someone just died and, you know, like, so it's not, okay. not the time for that. And, you know, I just was too young to understand. But you just don't know when you're until you're told, right. until you learn the hard way. So yeah, I, I, you're just present when you're a little like four or five year old, yeah. you're in the moment, you're just free and present and you are joy. You are pure love. Someone has to put those uh, hangups there. Yeah. We get imprinted and, and trained in this cultural parental way. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's like, it takes a village and the more we can improve the village, the better off the next generation will be. You know, if like when when you end up end up seeing these communities of people who um, come together in the, in the name of nonviolence and and right. things like that, and then they um, they have children, these second generation people coming out of you know certain sort of communal environments are really impressive. Hmm. 
Yeah, I'm probably one of those. I was raised in a hippie commune. Oh, excellent. So. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about you. Well, yeah, before you go, do you, do you mind telling me a little bit about how you got started? Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about my journey. So as I was just saying, I, I came from a pretty alternative background. My father was a musician. My mom was a visual artist and a dancer. And they did live communally and kind of an experimental community. It was all about the gardens and growing their own food and music. And I had a very alternative first schooling because I was um, a precocious little four-year-old in a school of other hippie kids that were up to 12 years old. So I was learning pretty early things that both academically and socially probably aren't quite the typical rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at a very young age, I... Um, my my mom actually introduced me to some some pretty wonderful Eastern religions. She well, she had been practicing yoga and meditating, and she introduced me to Baba Ram Das Be Her Now, the book. At, oh yeah, in my early teens, mm-hmm. and introduced me to yoga. And I was reading Alan Watts and Baba Ram Das, Paramahansa Yogananda, from a really young age. All the right stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember diving into the Herman Hesse book, Damien, and. Just being really, really curious about the esoteric, getting into the Alice Bailey channeled works, the um, you know the blue books from Alice Bailey's collection. I don't know if you're familiar. I haven't gotten with that. into that yet. I have to. Say. Yeah, she she channeled someone that was just referred to as the Tibetan. Oh right, I've, I've, uh, my uh, friend Kess in episode two was talking about her. Yeah. Yeah. So I I kind of stumbled upon all this stuff really young, and then I. I left home young to travel and would just, it was kind of like being on this adventure with my, my esoteric books and my yoga practice and chanting and meditating from 17 years old. And yet I, I also found myself kind of thrust into the heart of the glamour world because my, my ticket to travel and to explore the world was ironically through international fashion modeling, which was probably about as far the other direction into illusion and right just well yeah, i always say not... infiltrate and transform from within exactly yeah. so that was um a challenge at times but i did find teachers and i was initiated into kriya yoga in my early 20s i actually got initiated into um, transcendental meditation as well around 19 years old and then later the kriya mm. path um always seeking, you know, I had been a a yogini and a seeker and, um, upon returning to the States, got very interested in shamanic training, studied in Arizona with the, um, they call themselves a twisted hair tribe. There was a a man named Swift, Swift deer who was teaching from, um, pretty, I would say a blended tradition. He had Cherokee influence, but the twisted hair was really about all the wisdom traditions of Turtle Island and mm. blending. You blending probably know my mother-in-law, Teresa. I'm not sure by her name. No. And this was many years ago. Everything you're saying sounds really familiar. And she's always going out to Arizona. Okay. I may, I may have met her on one of those trips or within a sweat lodge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was about seven years ago after being pretty passionately involved in my, my yoga practice and this shamanic work that I connected with a, a group of women who um, were deeply involved with a 13 moon mystery school. And 
for me, it was like a homecoming. There was something so familiar, so resonant that it kind of shook me to my core, even though these other paths felt really wonderful and juicy. And there was so much wisdom and knowledge and information that I just, I ate up and was hungry for. This was the first time I had felt this kind of homecoming, like really found a path and what I would call a sisterhood or had an experience of sisterhood. And even though I I spoke before that men are welcome and, and in the larger community, we have many wonderful men and partners of the women that are deeply involved, but there's something about creating these containers where women feel really safe with each other and it helps heal this paradigm that's been going on for the last few thousand years where women have been kind of put in these very like comparative, competitive modes with each other just out of survival. Well, I'm hoping that in this massive acceleration and the awakening of the heart chakra that not just women and women, but women and men and men and men that we, we really do start to see through that veil of separation and, and really shift and to see each other as family and, and to, it, it really does. Like, once again, I come back to self love. I come back to that core jewel in the heart of the Lotus flower, so to speak. It's like when we, when we awaken to our inherent goodness and that self-love and that connection with source and our our own and this is another aspect of the the sacred feminine if i could wrap back and Mm -hmm. loop around this this sacred feminine path and the goddess quote quote re-emergence which she's always been here (laughs) is so much to me about really resting in our inherent divinity to feeling that we are her embodied and as as we have an embodied experience of that wholeness and that return to that center of our hearts, then you you naturally embrace and see others in their beauty. You naturally start to open and include and invite and um, champion for and celebrate others in their unique beauty and their light. It's so interesting because I've met a few wisdom teachers recently where even if they're in male bodies, I have been noticing the this the story, that mythic story, the, the story of the divine feminine, the goddess, which is so simple and it's so beautiful and it really is love. Love that too. Like everything, just embrace yeah. it. As that starts to happen and we give ourselves that permission to just alchemize and feel what's in the way of love instead of reacting and resisting, there it is. Every day is the initiation. Life is the initiation. Hmm. Yeah. And we're up against like, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, when when people choose... Uh, you know, they say, okay, help me, I want to awaken and I want to be a, I, I want to come into present time and shuffle off all of this crud from the, you know, this, this lower, wor- these lower worlds, you know, then that's one thing, but, you know, so many people don't get to that point. They, do, they, they kind of are imprinted with a cubicle or, right. you know, traffic and you know just a whole lot of meaninglessness and their only idea of spirituality was some dumb religion their parents tried to force on them and they rejected right. 
And so, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it seems like, it seems like there's a great force of spiritual inertia, you know, that, that, but I mean, it's encouraging. That's why I like to talk to people like you and people like, you know, that are, that are interested in these things that are actively practicing these things, because then I can sort of, um, start to imagine that the world already is that way. And then in, in doing so, we can all kind of start to encourage each other and bounce ideas and, uh, and then make it happen, you know, at least start. Absolutely. And Edward, I would, I would agree with that. And I would take it even a step forward and say that it's our own kind of personal responsibility the more we awaken to continue to use language and to write that new story, I would say even live into our own mythic story rather than kind of get sucked into the collective chaos and the story that's going on through the media per se. So for us to keep telling this story and to live into it to embody it so with our language in the little ways we connect and hold each other hold each other accountable tell your beloved honey i i hear you using this language but really i can hear the deeper prayer of your heart or what you're really wanting and really it's so much about in this moment because that's all that's real yeah. like we can we can think forward like oh how much time is it going to take to see a shift but in our own in our own spheres of influence in our own lives like magic happens miracles happen and it's not a disconnected esoteric conceptual thing it's like how do we just keep getting more and more present to our creative dreaming power together and and live into what we want what we really want like our heart's greatest dream and that's my prayer today. If anything goes out on this podcast, it's that question, like for each of us to take that responsibility, even just as a personal intention, when we set out into the quote, quote, real world, that we, we be the love, we bring it with us with our, with our language and with our open heart and with our presence. Thank you very much. I, the, my takeaway, one of my takeaways is the idea of a high priestess being a patriarchal concept. I, that's kind of ringing in my, in my brain, bouncing around, and I like it. Um, the idea of people finding their inner priestess, whether they be male or female, yeah. and being at the circle and being a mirror of each other and being able to have a shared experience like spiritual jazz mm-hmm. and not all just be looking at the high priestess and fantasizing about one day being, you know, impressive enough to be the high priestess. Right. But was just letting go of that whole concept. I like I'm that a lot. And it feels very Age of Aquarius, <laughs> and, you know, leaving behind the Piscean era. And, yes. and so, yeah. I, I approve of what you're doing. Oh, I'm so glad you approve. <laughs> um, it's great that you said that towards the end of our, our time together because I I often see how this this path as the gate as a gatekeeper as a focalizer my my job is to keep holding up that mirror like I said before when people project out onto me and say oh you are such a priestess or you are so wise or I have a question. Can you tell me this or that? I had a dream. Can you interpret it for me? Yeah. Yeah. And my, my job is to simply rest as empty presence, be in my, my sincere, unconditionally loving listening and to, to really see them already as 
the goddess embodied and as their highest essence and to speak to them like that and say, you are that, you are that which you are seeing in me. And I, I know that when you listen, when you rest and you listen, that those answers will come to you. And that's the empowerment. And that's, that's the practice to get out of the way, to be that empty vessel. And yes, there's no high priestess here. There's no guru. It's like, G-U-R-U, you are you. I am me. <laughs> and we are all waking up together. And it's beautiful. Guru, Sanskrit, for to make clear that which was confused. I like the the way that Ram Dass describes the guru in uh, in Be Here Now, Remember. What's the name of that book? The one that just says, Be Here Now, Remember, Be Here Now, yeah. Remember, Be Here Now. <laughs> it's so simple. Yes. Empty presence, present moment awareness in the now. That's where all the magic happens. My dad put up post-it notes all over his house that said, I am aware, and they only worked for a few weeks. He had to take them down because he got used to them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The mind is very, like you said, the monkey mind. It it wants novelty, and it's very tricky. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you, Eden, for coming on my podcast today. I'm very glad to have connected with you and with the 13 Moon Mystery School. There's a certain expression that I like to use in this context, and the idea is, at least as I remember it, there were certain islands, and when enough monkeys on one of the islands learned a new behavior, in this instance I believe it was washing potatoes or fruit before eating it, there was a certain critical number that as soon as that number, and they chose the number 100, just to simplify it, that all of the other monkeys of that same type on all of the other islands would suddenly start washing their potatoes as well. So the underlying idea here is that it's not necessary that everyone in the world become uplifted and enlightened. It's only necessary that a certain critical number be reached. Once that number is reached, the whole world will wake up. I love that idea, and it fills me with hope. And Sarah Eden Amadora is, among other things, a musician. I'd like to share with you one of her songs. It's called The Hundredth Monkey. Thank you all for tuning in. Keep
the one you've been waiting. 